Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Back after after missing this podcast for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, it's good to be back. Joined today by Ian Smith, company's editor. How are you doing, Ian? Not too bad, John. Welcome back. Thank you very much. And uh, Megan Boxall, how are you, Megan? I'm, I'm very well, thank you, John. Good, good. So it's been a busy week to come back to. Uh, top 100 funds, uh, which is always a, a, a mammoth effort, a huge feature. We do it every year. Basically, the pick of the, the, the best funds in the UK, the best uh, actively managed funds in the UK. Um, that will be discussed in more detail on the Personal Finance Podcast, um, which will be recorded tomorrow. Um, so we're going to concentrate on companies' news, and there's lots of lots going on, lots of results. Um, interesting sector focus this week from you, Megan, on the price comparison websites, which we have discussed on this podcast before. Um, where do we start? Should we start with uh, the, the market's newest entrant? Ian, let's talk about VI mining, which is a really unusual story, um, going to a, a somewhat unusual market. Yes. So Alex Newman, our resources uh, specialist, has written uh, the new spotlight this week on VI mining, which is joining the next exchange uh, ahead of a planned uh, listing on the on the main market, perhaps so this, in the second half of 2018. So this is the, the kind of sub-aim type thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a weird little market. It's not controlled by the stock exchange, if I'm, if I'm right in thinking. And it's not one that um, I see readers or listeners to this will likely use a lot. So this, I think the largest company currently is Arsenal. Uh, football club. Yes, yes. Um, I'd say there's another company on there which I like a great deal, which is Adnams, uh, which is where I have been in the, the last few weeks. I've been in Southwold, uh, one of the places I've been. Adnams are listed on the NAX as well. Uh, great little company. So it's a good it's a good market. There's some good companies on there. It's a good market. And I think in this case, management looked to be, based on what Alex is saying, um, using it as a bit of a proving ground where they can get, um, get some sentiment from the market ahead of a, a main market IPO in the second half of next year. So yeah, VI Mining, very interesting uh, company. VI, is that what it stands for? Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <No. laughs> but it is very intriguing. Um, it has, very intriguing? Uh, very intriguing. I'll just keep upping it. Um, it focuses on Peru. Uh, it's, a, it's a gold miner. Um, but it has a slightly different model. So the, in Peru, they have this artisanal mining market, which might uh, call to mind all kinds of things. But it, it basically means that they have a lot of individuals that go out and, and mine a bit. And uh, it's a semi-legal industry that the government has been looking to provide a better infrastructure for, um, and also to make it legal <laughs> totally. Well, this happens in a, actually. It. This happens in a lot, a lot of uh, markets where you, a lot of countries where you have these kind of very, very big resources uh, out there, resource bases out there. This happens in Africa too. You have this artisanal mining. But this is formalising it. This is, yeah. this is why it's interesting. And it's also, it's using foreign private capital to increase the productivity of a local industry in a way that arguably isn't, well, you could argue, or they would argue, I suppose, is less exploitative for the, for the workers, or at least some of the economic value uh, remains in the country. And just to bear out that point, currently um, some of these miners have to travel for you know, hundreds of kilometres to um, in order to, you know, smelt the gold that they've mm -hmm. um, dug out. Uh, and this will provide for a lot of those people, you know, a closer point. And, and also those miners, as, as Alex explains in the piece, might end up you know, sleeping uh, beside the, their own, you know, rock that they've dug out for days on, for days on end uh, until their wares are then sold. So this is a way of providing a quicker turnaround, not as far as travel for these miners. So the productivity of those increases. There's also a corporate uh, social responsibility um, strategy of the company to invest in local services and they're very much um, 
seem to be doing this um, with the blessing of the uh, Peruvian authorities because of the way that they are kind of increasing, you know, this productivity and, and serving this industry and helping to formalize it. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting company in terms of how they're trying to address the natural resources on the other side of the world. Okay, so basically what they're doing is putting an infrastructure in place uh, to, to help the, the local mining community, as it as it were, which is why the title of the piece is the Uber of mining. Yeah. And what you don't have to worry about, as you might with a, uh, another kind of miner, is that they have to go there, then they have to find the reserve, provable res- reserves, and then they have to dig it out. In this case, the supply is uh, will be coming to them if they just build the infrastructure, uh, because it's um, you know dug up by these uh, you know local workers. So in in that way, there's less of that development risk, I suppose, that you would have with a traditional miner, um, and potentially, I think, which is what. Alex touches on, and I touch on a little bit in my taking stock, perhaps there's less political risk as well. We'll come on to that. Because of the way that they've uh, sought to structure it. So it's, it's an interesting uh, kind of provision of capital to uh, a developing economy. Okay, so, so, so we'll come on to the political risk. I, I mean, I, I just, just as an aside, I see a parallel in what VI is doing with what some of the palm oil producers do that are listed on the London market, because a lot of those guys will process the, the artisanal produce. that They don't control all of the so guys like uh, New Britain, MP Evans. Yeah, they have actually, they, they offer their, their infrastructure to the artisanal producers in, in those countries that are producing palm oil. I, I see a parallel there, and it works for those guys, and I don't see why it, it doesn't work here. Let's come on to the political risk, because you've written about that in Taking Stock. And obviously, there's a very good example of that political risk uh, on the markets this week in the form of Petra Diamonds. Yes, which we've um, covered in the tip update section. Again, Alex has, uh, has covered that. So Petra have been drawn into some of the political fallout in Tanzania from the government uh, taking a stronger hold of its own natural resources. So in, in this case, um, readers will be uh, familiar with um, Acacia Miner and Shantagold, the gold miners in Tanzania who have come up against the government in a very um, destructive way for them. A mixture of higher levies and also punitive taxes in Acacia's uh, case um, that have, you know, in, in Acacia's case, again, uh, almost threatened the viability of the company. And that's because the uh, president of uh, Tanzania um, has taken a much stronger um, line towards his country's natural resources. He said, you know, that more of that economic value has to remain in the country. And I think that's a really interesting topic at the moment. So to come on to Petra, have they fallen foul of these authorities? Well, an export you know, package of their diamonds has been um, blocked. And some of their individual... Confiscated or blocked? As in but blocked, I think held at the moment. I don't think confiscated right. can use the term. So uh, they will obviously still be optimistic about it. And certain key personnel from their Williamson mine have been uh, questioned. So the shares of Petra were hit very heavily straight away because obviously the market was very live to uh, the kind of uh, actions that are taking place in Tanzania and how it might impact. But then there was some recovery in the shares and obviously some people realising, well, this is just one of Petra's areas of operations. The company did what looked like quite an interesting kind of communications exercise of trying to put all the documentation out there. They talked about how they value their diamonds. So that might suggest that there's some question mark about the value that's being extracted uh, and how it's being judged. And they were quick to say that it's a proven method that rivals use in terms of how they value and market uh, the diamonds. But it is another example of the political risk of these kind of investments that you have a, a president that's come to power and has been very clear and in this case actually passed legislation saying that there should be state ownership of a certain amount of the mines in the country, that uh, miners should be listed on the Dar es Salaam uh, stock exchange. So this is something I kind of 
try to pull the topic together a little bit in my taking stock and say, is this a wider risk that investors have to be aware of? Are there all, or are these all one-off cases where, you know, you just can't predict it? Or should you think about uh, the political relationship between uh, the resources company and the government in the target country? Indeed. I mean, my, my view would be that, that whilst they may in each case be be one-offs they are part of a more more general trend uh, and that investors need to pay attention to those sorts of risks we had it we had it in egypt Fentamin, exactly the same kind of thing happened and they, they, they actually came out the other side of it quite strongly so, so you know it's not it's not game over for companies that find themselves in this situation but it is a risk i would suggest investors need to manage it's not a, yeah it's not game over at all and another company we've written about reasonably recently is cosmos uh, which is subject to a very interesting documentary called big men and that details good. i'm gonna have to watch that you're gonna have to watch that. it it's, it's excellent and it details their experience at the beginning of this decade um and a little bit earlier in- is it on netflix it is on Netflix. Oh, that's good. And perhaps other streaming services, I'm not sure. It uh, focuses on Ghana and the discovery of Ghana's off, uh, offshore oil resources um, by Co- Cosmos. Um, so, you know, high-risk exploration activity funded by foreign capital. And then a new government comes to power in Ghana and wants to renegotiate the terms of them using that resource. Well, th- but this, this begs an interesting question, which is that, that actually the exploration of these assets does require a lot of capital uh, and, and that, that it does often require outside parties to provide that capital. Having then invested all that capital, is it right for governments to say what well, it belongs to us? When actually they haven't invested any of the money required to actually make it actually a, a commercial reality. I agree. In Ghana's case, and it was private equity at that time, without that tolerance for risk and long-term investment that a private equity um, investor can provide, would you be able to find such a, an oil resource as offshore oil in Ghana? And that's a good question. It's a slightly different thing when you have an operational gold or diamond mine in uh, Tanzania. Maybe the risk reward there is different. Maybe can you bring in the foreign expertise? Can you develop uh, domestic expertise even to um, exploit that resource? But then crucially, Ghana, they still had a stake and have a stake in those uh, fields. So it's about setting that balance, isn't there? In in between the profitability for the foreign investors and something that is politically acceptable to the domestic authorities. And and, and if you care about that country and its uh, economic growth, something that's healthy for the local community. And arguably, we should care about all countries and, and their economic development. That is, after all, what, what, you know, often our foreign policy is, is directed towards. VI is trying to address that in some way. Yeah. And, it, it, and it's worth keeping an eye on in that respect alone. Especially at a time when inequality between the global south in terms of developing countries and the, and the global north in terms of the kind of, the, you know, the G7 and the, uh, you know, the more developed economic countries is getting worse. And people are very live to this inequality. So it, I think... Given there's that imbalance there, you would be sensible to expect that some countries and politicians in the global south are going to try and redress that balance somehow. And I think you'll have perhaps more of these people taking uh, more control, especially as they have. They aren't just reliant on the Western economies for funding. In Tanzania's case, they've had heavy investment from China. That's the case in other countries such as um, Angola and other African countries that are resource rich. And with that kind of Chinese uh, capital coming into the markets too, how reliant will they be on foreign capital from uh, the West? So we, yeah, we can't assume that that power balance will always be the same. It's it's very interesting. Definitely adds a, a layer of complexity to investing in, in certainly small cap resources, in fact, even large cap resources, that investors perhaps haven't been paying as much attention to as they should. 
So, yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, let's stick with the tip updates page because Apple looks on your phone this week. Yeah, too much um, excitement in a big launch event at their brand new headquarters in California. Yeah, it looks good, doesn't it? It looks amazing. It does. It looks very good. We're getting a new yeah. office too. I hope it's <laughs> as good as that. <laughs> that would be, um, that'd be surprising. It would be um, very surprising. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the iPhone... The iPhone 10, 10. Yeah. or X. How do you say it in Latin, Ian? Uh, yeah, I have believe you, Have you looked it up yet? Yeah, I've looked it up. I've spoken to my Latin sources. <laughs> and? 10. <laughs> um, okay, so we've, we've been a long-standing supporter of, of Apple shares. Yeah. We like them. We've, yeah. we've liked them for a long, long time. Do we still like them? Yeah, well, we tipped them again quite recently. And um, based on this new iPhone, the fact that it's going to be so expensive and it's going to hopefully send the earnings up even more. But also our tip was sort of on the basis that actually Apple, despite the fact it's the largest company in the world, is very cheap for what you're getting for your money if Always you take out all the cash. Um, the, all the cash which is currently not available to shareholders but hopefully it will be soon. They do pay a dividend though, don't they? They do, they pay a generous dividend because they just make so much cash mm. um, from all these products, this amazingly cash generative products. The, biggest seller is the iPhone. What um, phone have you got? I've actually got the SE, the iPhone SE. But you have an iPhone. I have an iPhone. I too have an iPhone. Yeah, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an Essex alternative? Yeah, no, locally I've got, I've got, sourced I've got, I've got, phone, John. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> It's an Adnams phone. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, Suffolk. Um, no, I, I have a Windows phone. My family have iPhones. Um, but yeah, so, so this company is amazing. We still mm, think it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and the, it's an expensive the new phone, but people are going to buy it. Well, I'm sure they will. It's, it is a very expensive phone, $999. Just but so it's, you not, can, uh... it's not a phone, it's a tool, <laughs> isn't it? You know, it's not Just describing this kind of product as a phone, it doesn't... I, I would argue that being able to make your face into a moving pig emoji is not really a tool. <laughs> that's but... what I've always been looking for in my life. I think that's the, been the missing thing. That's why, why I'm, I'm so, so dissatisfied all the time. It's, I've never been able to make my face into an emoji pig. Oh, well, now, well, in November, when the iPhone finally launches, you'll be able to. That's it, I'm upgrading. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we're, we're still positive on Apple. Yeah, definitely. Let's, let's stick with the other tip-up that you've written this week, AstraZeneca. Yeah. They had a disappointment a little while back. Well, I was away, I think, in fact. Yeah, I think it probably was. It was very, very disappointing. So it was around the time of their... They, they announced this major trial disappointment um, alongside their interim results, which were also this really bad. This was a big trial, wasn't it? This was the, the trial that analysts and investors and everybody had set so much... So, so many hopes on. It was called Mystic. Mystic, that's Um, it. Yeah, and it was, so the initial data that came from that trial was just not what they were expecting, not what AstraZeneca were expecting, not what anyone was expecting. It's a cancer drug and it would have been, it could still be a really, really big thing in a new era of cancer care. Um, The trial is still going on, but analysts have taken all potential out of their um, forecast because of the the initial readout, mm-hmm. which was so disappointing. Well, we've had some good news. Yeah, so this week, um, well, it was over the weekend, actually, um, AstraZeneca presented some results from two of their trials. One of them is actually half of the Mystic trial. It's a drug called Infinzi, and it it was it's also used within that Mystic trial. So the Mystic trial is two drugs together. This was it on its own, and it reported data which was so much better than anyone expected, which means that now analysts now think it's going to make 
two billion dollars worth of sales um, annually when it reaches its peak. Well, what what um, does this drug do? What is this? It's uh, also a cancer drug. So both of them are lung cancer drugs. Um, it's very confusing. Actually, it has a lot of lung cancer drugs. drugs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're different types. So one of them, the one called Tegriso, is for late stage lung cancer patients. So when you're really at the final stages and all you want is a few more months of life, that's what Tegriso is for. And the drug has found that it can extend the time that you are alive without your cancer getting any worse for 11 months. Okay, that's a, that is a pretty astounding. Yeah, it's amazing. Result. And they were expecting seven seven months and it's come back much better than expected. So that's really good news. The other one um, in Finzi is for people at early the earlier stages of um, lung cancer, which is it makes it a really big market because more people are at, like lung cancer sufferers, they tend to drop off by the time the cancer progresses because either yeah. they get better or they die. And, and we, so, we're getting better now at, at identifying stuff earlier so yeah, if you've got exactly. an early stroke, so the stroke, early stage drug is a massive market yeah so that's really good news for them and um, the share price is back up to where it was before the mystic trial failure um or half failure so yeah investors uh, investors seem to like astrazeneca again okay that's good yeah. astrazeneca looking good again mm-hmm. um should we should we turn to results it's been a surprisingly busy week for results i have to say i, I generally forget that september is going to be uh, another deluge of, of mm. results, but we've had 15 pages worth this week. I think it's it partly, and I was reflecting on why that was, and I haven't. No, same last year, we just forget. I yeah, think, I, think, I, think, I think I think it's like childbirth. <laughs> I think <laughs> just partly, forget how bad it is every year. Yeah, we definitely forget, but also markets are very buoyant. And at that point where we have this, we try and cover every company above a certain market capitalization. You have more that are falling into that bracket as a result of really buoyant equity markets. So, and also we've had a fair amount of recent um, companies coming on. So I think it's quite, it is interesting. It does seem, but like you say, it's also just because we forget how many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, we, we, we sort of have a cutoff, don't we? I mean, we might as well explain this because I do get asked this question. You know, yeah, we, so, we, it's nominally 100 million. Yeah, so, I mean, there are exceptions because we look at a number of things like the liquidity in the shares, um, the ownership of the shares, how likely our readers are to own them. Uh, but 100 million pounds in market capitalization above that, we try and cover every company at their half year and full year results stage. Uh, we will also cover smaller companies if they're tips or perhaps if we've covered them a lot um, and we don't want to, and we've kind of previously been positive on them or, or very negative on them and we need to up, update it so there is some latitude but yeah broadly in that above 100 million pound bracket um we try and provide a view on them at least twice a year in addition to all the other stuff we do yeah I, I, you know woe, woe betide me saying that a market crash would uh, make our jobs a little bit easier <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, a lot right. of m&a <laughs> what have we oh a lot of m&a yeah so what have we got this week uh, let's start with jd sports because they they were they're, they're, I mean, again, a company that we have pretty much had on a bias since as yeah. long as I can remember. I mean, a decade, a good decade, we've had this company on a on a buy most of the time, yeah. and it's proven to be good. But well, they had a bit of a nightmare a, earlier this year. Yeah, it's generally been a very successful company. Um, it continues to do very well because everyone wants Athleisure wear. Which I don't. Is, uh, I personally <laughs> can't. Athleisure. Athleisure. It's Heath Ledger wearing athletics. A combination of athletics and accounting. I'm going to say it again. It's a really hard word to say. Athleisure. Athleisure. Yeah. Athleisure. Don't worry. It's made up word anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, a stupid word. Right. Anyway. But, but it's still popular. Uh-huh. But it's still very popular. Um, yeah. No, I, I can't stand it. But lots of people do like 
to wear their sports clothes all day long. And my, my kids are at that age. Yeah, we've had that conversation. We, before, we have we? on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So you know, I, I've, I never understood why why there was this sort of sudden skepticism that that, that JD Sports model was continuing to work yeah. because I know how much I spend there, <laughs> <laughs> or how much my kids spend Scuttle there, or what method. they ask for their birthday, or yeah. what vouchers they want. Um, yeah, JD Sports roaring back. Yeah, I, well, so the growth rates over the last few years have been phenomenal, but then. Well, a few months ago it was that they were not particularly enthusiastic. Um, the chief financial officer has now since said, with the benefit of hindsight, they were perhaps overly cautious well, at their age. Well, they trying to next. Are they trying to next. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you some oh, sort of gloomy yeah. guidance, then we've got to smash it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was more, but it was more um, confusing than it was understating or yeah. overstating the problems, right? It was just, there was a lot of timing issues. They were saying timing issues make it hard for us to put reliance on our like-for-like sales, which some people took as very negative, but actually it turns out that that mix effect yeah. hasn't had as much and of an the impact. And like-for-like sales weren't as good as they have been in no. the past, but they were still pretty phenomenal considering how much JD Sports has been growing in the last few years. And then there were they talked briefly about margin pressures as well, but there was absolutely no evidence of these margin pressures in these results. The margins were still great, and so it was very strange. So the shares rebounded. Not actually that much. They're, they're, like, they're still looking quite cheap compared to their historical value. They always have. Yeah. They always yeah. have. It's but like it's like Apple. Oh, they've always, always, yeah. always been cheap. But and even people are nervy at the moment about the consumer economy and squeezed incomes, right? That's fair enough. That's absolutely fair enough. But JD Sports is roaring back. Yeah. Uh, next again, there were questions over next in the last few months. I wrote an editorial on it after a note which suggested they'd had a Kodak moment. Yeah. And that's proven not to be the case at all. They've, yeah. they've had some good figures today. Results today. Well, I mean, the figures, the actual interim figures are not great, but the outlook is amazing. And they suddenly have decided that they're not going to have to raise their prices as much as they had expected they were going to. So all the customers are coming back. That's really good because um, they are expensive. So as yeah. a shopper, I, yeah. I, 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 I say as a shopper, I don't do a lot of shopping. Yeah. <laughs> um, my wife has said to me that she loves the stuff in Next, but it's too expensive. So, I mean, so price good rises. Good quality though. Mm, is there such a thing on the high street anymore? I don't know. I would question that. But but anyway, the point is is, is that price rises were killing them. Yeah. And and they they were becoming quite necessary for them to offset the inflated costs, yeah. right, with the decline in sterling. So it, it was very important, and this was part of the worry from January when they had that profit warning: was are they going to be able to get the kind of full price sale sales that they need to get in order to protect their margins? But actually, it looks like yet again, um, things are perhaps better than they looked at the last uh, warning or trading statement. Yeah. Well, as I said, next next is, has always has a reputation for being gloomy and beating it, and you know. But the, even in these results, which the share price is up so much today, the outlook statement is ten percent, wasn't it? Ten or eleven percent. Yeah, probably. yeah, it was amazing. Um, but even even so, the tone is still really, really like gloomy. That's so next. It's, yeah, That's it's just next. And you can uh, read our analysis of, of that on the website because that will be in next week's print issue. Yes, yeah, not in the magazine this week. Uh, Morrison's had some figures today as well, which were again very strong. Um, so, uh, very, very much an indication that the recovery there is, is is really gathering speed. I think both Next and Morrison's have said that that any any uh, of the sterling related price increases that they they were having to push for have gone. They're they're, they're not mm. predicting that, that we're going to see much more of that. And in Morrison's, just make the food smaller. That's what you do if you're a food retailer, isn't it? It's shrinkflation. Well, that's good for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, let's let's uh, whiz through the results section. I tell you what I like this week, which I've written about in my editorial Frontier. Mm. Maybe all miss the eyed for their uh, for my for my my teenage years. Elite. 
Yeah, it's, it's now called Elite Dangerous Elite Horizons. Dangerous. So this is Frontier Developments, which yeah. is a software developer, a games developer, yeah. used to develop games for other people, started to develop games off its own book, uh, and this is flying, this game. Oh, yeah, the share price rise in the last year has it's something like 600%. It's I incredible. I think so, it's more than that. Really? Yeah, yeah it's, it's insane. Well, how much was it up on the tip? Anyway, it's a massive rise. And it has, yeah, the, it's crazy how much it's risen. So uh, this time last year, Frontier were in quite a bad place. They'd had to delay the launch of one of their games, Elite Dangerous Horizons. And because they'd had to delay that launch, they the share price was down. It was all miserable. Suddenly, they've launched Elite Dangerous. They've launched another game called Planet Coaster. Everything's going amazingly well. They're making the vast majority of their revenue now from their own games rather than from developing games for other people. And they've signed this contract with Universal to develop a game based on the Jurassic World franchise. And then this big Chinese company, Tencent, has taken a big stake in them, put a load of money into the business. It's all just going really, really well for them. So why would you not pile in? Well, this is the conversation we've already had, but (laughs) we'll recreate it. Now we can recreate (laughs) our conversation for the benefit of our listeners. I mean, this is what well, I know. I'm telling you, it's your argument, but it is it is a really interesting point that having had the share price rise so much, people are expecting quite a lot from the company now, and any delay at all, um, which there's already seen, hurts their share price. And with Jurassic World, it's not going to come onto the market for at least another year. People may sort of start giving up on it. They they need something to keep the sales ticking up, and yeah. there are going to be delays. My my my, my issue with gaming. I lo- see. I love this. I love the idea of this company. I think they're doing an amazing thing. It's the same guy that yeah. runs it who who wrote the original software for the BBC Micro back in 1984. I, I mean, I just love this story. Yeah. I love it. I think this is amazing. But you know, putting my investment hat on, I think shareholders need to be a bit more circumspect about how they how they judge the prospects of gaming companies. We have been here before. Mm-hmm. We have seen companies like this who have these amazing franchises, which seem like they could you know dominate the world of gaming. But delays kill. Delays mm. are a nightmare. Um, games development is really, really expensive mm. now. So I just, I, I just looked at that share price, and whilst I really love the story, I looked at the share price, and it terrified me. Yeah, yeah. And Frontier is now having to spend quite a lot on expanding its headcount, and they need to employ all these super duper intelligent gaming legends who are going to develop Jurassic World, and it's going to cost them. And mm. that is why the forecasts for next year are really, really not very good. And if people haven't really, people have got used to the fact that Frontier is doing really well. Next year, when their profit and earnings collapse again because they've had to spend so much on developing the game, people are going to be like, oh, God, what's happening? You're just going to get nervous. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And that's what actually that worries me about a lot of these 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 stories where you see these very sharp share price increases. Mm. I mean, it happened to to One Disco as, mm. as an example. Who you've also covered this week. I remember the the optimism around that company was, was huge. And then they had a couple of disappointments. Share price gets hammered. Back on the right trajectory now, yeah. but... But yeah, I yeah, it wasn't actually to... me that wrote this. Was Harry? Oh, Harry sorry. Wrote it. But yeah, it's a, another oh, it's another encroaching on your sector, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think with these kind of companies, they have a very clear idea, and investors have a re- very clear idea of the addressable market because you can look at how many people played the last similar game or the last exact game in the franchise. So you have this expectation of sales, which is huge as compared to another kind of disruptive software company where you think, well, it's it's a good piece of software, but we're not sure how many businesses might kind of buy it and then they build it up. I wonder 
how much is being baked into uh, the price to sales in terms of thinking how much they can sell. And like you say, the execution risk must be then so high that they can. I mean, Jurassic World was one of the biggest uh, movies to come out in um, you know this decade. Right? I think it was the. I think it was mm. the I biggest think it was of the, the year. Biggest o- foreign opening of a Hollywood film ever. So the expectation is going to be huge about the amount of people playing this game and any uh, disappointment with it is potentially yeah. going to be... Very and then the other thing with that, is the other, as we were talking about the other day as well, is how much they're having to pay Universal for it and, and where the licence extends to. And they, they do have... The licence is global, but how much they're having to pay in different markets to launch this game and will the sales actually match what they've had to pay for it up front? We don't know. It's, it's complex. Yeah, it's co- it's much more complex than the sort of reductive good game share yeah. price rise. Yeah. Suggests. Especially with especially um, with ten cent getting involved. As you said to me, Megan, yeah, ten cent are taking a lot of lot of stakes with a, with a view that yeah. something is going to come good. Yeah, and they're kind of hedging their bets. A little yeah. Bit. Again, I mean, I think the point there is don't read too much into a strategic. It's like we saw imagination technologies, for example, has yeah. has had a big stake from Apple for for many many years. Yeah. Hasn't really come to a great deal in respect of well, the development of that business. No, it's come to nothing. It's, it's come, come to, to nothing. Yeah. Exactly. It's come to a complete collapse of the share price and. Apple withdrawing their business from them. Indeed, so. I, I guess I guess I'm you know I'm just being characteristically pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we expect I think, no less. I think shareholders have to they have to be aware of, yeah. of the risks that there are in in these really fantastic growth stories. Love Frontier, love love Elite, love the whole story. Just be careful because that share price has gone mad. Yeah. Okay, let's um, let's kind of wrap up. Uh, heading back to the news, Safe Style, which we've talked about on this podcast. Um, and if, if I remember rightly, on the podcast we had we we'd had them in as a guest. Yes. And then and then they had a profit warning. Yes. Very shortly afterwards, and we were kind of saying eh, profit warnings. Yeah. Uh, maybe we ought to be a little bit careful here. And it's come. <laughs> in yeah. fact, we wrote a feature about and this it's, a little while back and as it's, well. It's worse than expected. Yeah, I, I think the first profit warning said, "Look, we're growing market share," but if I suppose the counter argument, well, if the market is shrinking hugely, then it doesn't really matter if you're growing your share of it. So and then but there was still some pretty bad news in the first update. But then the second update said that things were even worse than people had expected. And what's, it's, what's happening? What's happening? People I mean, just you aren't know. buying windows and doors. Well, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Well, very, I loved, I loved, I loved the way you boiled that down to something very simple. From this company, I think. From this, often what we don't, <laughs> we fail to do as, as analysts, investment analysts, is boil it down to the simple fact that people aren't buying as many doors and windows. Love it. I think it's interesting. There's a few different things going on. Obviously, there's the whole consumer credit angle. They sell some of their uh, windows and doors on credit. Well, they're quite expensive windows yeah. and doors. They're quite expensive. They're a big ticket item and the consumer economy as we've discussed a lot on this podcast who are a bit nervy about it so are people making those big ticket purchases at the moment there's general bearishness around uh, the repair maintenance and improvement market and we've seen other uh, retailers and suppliers in that market suffer and is, uh, that seems to be related to the stagnation in the housing market at the moment so that whole what we've discussed before the don't move improve that doesn't seem to be happening at the moment uh, for these companies the fact that there hasn't been many transactions in the secondary market might suggest that people will get those windows and doors but they aren't doing that so it's bearish on the consumer uh, but then there are other players in that sector that are providing kind of smaller ticket items and supplies that haven't suffered as much as safe style so it might be just something about the way they're doing it the way they're selling it but yeah it doesn't there's definitely a wider sector point as well Mm, it's interesting I, i need some new windows but uh i'm not going to buy them 
They're too, they're too expensive. Yeah. Far too expensive. There were there were competing demands for my for my cash, and what I'm instead going to do is get out on the roof with a tube of uh, putty and uh, <laughs> fix the ones that I've got. Until I have spare cash. Mm. Yeah. This is spare cash purchase, really. Unless your windows are literally yeah. disintegrated. Uh, Harriet yeah. people, did speak uh, to um, speak to people about when she was writing this, and that pretty much is the bottom line. People just aren't willing to pay as much as new windows and doors cost because yeah. they're so expensive. Mm. So they they might buy carpets because they've you know bought a new place or they want to redo the carpet, not as big a ticket item, but whether they will replace all the windows in their house. Plus, plus you have consumer trend uh, tastes do change, right? You assume that people want kind mm. of PVC products. Uh, they could be the very library. good PVC windows now. No, yeah, they, uh, yeah, I agree. But it, the market might be changing, or maybe the consumer credit. I think there's a, there's a couple of different factors. It's hard to tell exactly, but the wider market is shrinking, as shown by the the industry data that we've seen this year. Yeah, and I I, I, th- I just think it's. I mean, it is a fascinating story in and of itself. But I think it's fascinating how how what we've said about it has evolved mm. since since they came in. Actually, yeah. I think I think there's really something to be to be gleaned from from the process of what they said to us then and what's what subsequently transpired. Yeah, because we listen to that podcast now with hindsight. Um, again and again and again <laughs> to see where we went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think we had a comment to that effect on the website, actually. Like, Yo, you guys um, are just reacting to the fact they came in on the podcast and, and talked about it. But I, it is quite interesting. that They were, if you listen back to it, you know, fairly muted. Um, and when Harriet put to, I think it was the CEO of one of the management team, about the whole kind of don't move, improve trend, he said, well, there is a bit of a lag effect anyway. And it's not quite that kind of mechanistic so it was it was muted i think in hindsight i mean it's, it's an interesting point about about meeting management which i think you've written about in in taking stock and, and it's certainly something that comes through in the top 100 funds is that you know access to management is often seen as a fantastic thing that can give you some insight that the rest of the market doesn't have and i've always had a suspicion and i think you've you've voiced this in taking stock as well that that actually sometimes you can have an idea that something's not quite right and management whose job it is to sell their company, can talk you out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sometimes it's so much better not to meet management. Make your decision on the company and then meet management. Don't meet them when you're not sure. Mm. That's so... Or don't meet them at all. Don't meet them at all. Don't meet them at all. That is yeah. that is a strategy that some fund managers, yeah. successful fund managers, have cho- cho- chosen to make. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's very sensible because it's so easy for management who know their business inside out to sweet talk you into into everything's going well. And... Yeah, the lesson for me was Provident Financial this year on that on that front. I mean, just in terms of it's a it's a management team that were highly rated um, and made a really good um, pitch for. And I, and I and I think we bet as a title backed, and I I could understand how they were changing their business um, and the way that they were promoting their kind of credit product um, and you know doing better by regulators and moving away from the doorstep business. But the way they executed that business transition was so bad that it's really massacred the value of the company. And it makes you think, how much of that is a lesson not to go long, a, a, biz, a big business transition, as someone said to me about that. But also how much of it is kind of a lesson that once you have the concerns, to not be talked out of them yeah. by yeah. a very convincing management team. Which I'm sure they have. Uh, you know, one, uh, one, one famous investor that, that got obviously caught out by Provident Financial to, to close on a top 100 funds related note is Neil Woodford. Yeah, they got absolutely battered by it, and you know you, you you can't imagine that he doesn't have access to to every management team that he wants to have access to, and he got caught out by it. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting lesson there. We're sticking with Woodford, by the way. He's a good manager. Yeah, uh, that uh, and that's really interesting. I mean, part of with his holdings, he holds so much of a company. Mm. We talk about this. 
can he say anything else? You know, I mean, about Provident Fine, there was always going to be a bit of a return in some sentiment. And, and you think that it's, you know, he's got an interest himself in, in, in kind of like promoting a, what is a big holding for him as well. As we talk about fund managers, right? They want to kind of talk about their own book. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and that's understandable. So it's like you've just got to take that into account. But he has made a very coherent, um, or his uh, fund has made a very coherent buy argument on Provident and why uh, the, the market has overreacted. And it, and it is a really interesting take. Yeah, indeed. Okay, well, that's been a, a fantastic discussion that I never expected to have because it wasn't what we planned at the beginning. <laughs> but there you go. That is the beauty of, uh, of our podcast. So thank you, Megan. Thank uh, you. Thank you, Ian. Thank you all for listening. It's good to be back. Uh, plenty more in the magazine. We didn't, we didn't even get to your sector focus. <laughs> yeah, that was planned, wasn't it? But we have, People we can have, read it. You can read it. Uh, as I said, Top 100 Funds is the, the, big, uh, the big thing this week. Usual comment um, from, uh, from Simon, uh, from, uh, from the trader. Uh, lots and lots of results that we haven't talked about. And uh, a, little, a little bit in the personal finance and funds section. Of course, stripped back by the effort of Top 100 Funds that they will no doubt talk about in their podcast tomorrow. Thank you for listening. And I'll be back with everybody next week. Thank you very much. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.